Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, gang. Just a quick note on the front end of this podcast. We had some audio issues with Brady Quinn's connection. Uh, and it got particularly bad around the 11-minute mark. So you may want to skip ahead. There's about a three or four-minute answer in there. That's a little tough to hear, but I debated whether or not to post the audio because there is some choppy stuff uh, throughout, but uh, there's also a lot of great content. So in those instances where it gets a little muffled, you might have to jack up the volume. Apologize for that. Won't be an issue next time. Please enjoy the podcast, and thanks so much, as always, for checking in. Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. Welcome back to the Football by Football Podcast. This is Matt Chatham, your host, joined again by Brady Quinn, who is here on the sort of uh, aftermath of, unfortunately, his Irish going down to Stanford and uh, sliding out from around that uh, the top four ranking. We now have our new set of rankings uh, Brady, how's it going? I mean, homerism aside, just uh, sort of how things fleshed out, how you feeling? Yeah, you know, obviously it's, it's pretty disappointing the way uh, that game finished, but, you know, arguably maybe one of the best college football games all season long. And uh, when it came down to it, Stanford was the better team. Um, Notre Dame didn't take advantage of their opportunities in the red zone, and that fumble, I think, on that two-minute drive before uh, the end of the first half really hurt them because they were in field goal range, and that could have been the difference in the game. Um, but... All in all, it's been a great college football season, so I'm kind of excited for championship weekend this weekend. Okay, so as we look, I guess I was trying to think back to a year ago. Maybe this is just sort of selective memory on my part, Brady, but uh, I don't recall sort of this slotting feel that we had to this week. I mean, obviously a few things had to go this way to make it sort of the certainty that it was. I think we basically knew three of the four were going to be what they were unless something crazy happened. And then those swing games were, you know, a few of the Big 12 games and then obviously the Stanford-Notre Dame game out west. Uh, obviously, I, I think things sit in a place where it was one of the least sort of, I don't know, anticipated is the wrong word, but just least amount of surprises I remember in a weekend. There's not much to argue about this week, which kind of sucks. So it provides us the opportunity to sort of talk about where they sit and then the games that will happen this weekend on championship weekend. Was there in any of this maybe stretching back to the top 10 or even beyond that if we want to get in North Carolina and things like that? Are there any surprises there for you? I don't think there's any surprises in my opinion, Matt. I think when you look at it, these teams are probably pretty accurately ranked. And especially when you think about the college football playoff committee's criteria, which is how they rank these teams. I know we've talked about it before, but I'll remind uh, listeners and, and you, it's, it comes down to championships one, strength of schedule, head-to-head play, and common opponents. Uh, so when you look at those four types of criteria versus some of the teams that are in the bubble, whether that be Michigan State, Ohio State, uh, Stanford, uh, Notre Dame, who's sitting at eight. I mean, it, it all seems to add up. It all seems to make sense. And uh, I think it's they've done a good job at this point of allowing the schedule to take its course. And they've essentially put up uh, Michigan State and Iowa in a playoff to play into that final spot 
for the college football playoff. But I will say this, Matt. I actually think the winner of the Big Ten championship will jump Oklahoma. I think right. they will get penalized, and they will drop back one spot. Um, I think because, one, it, this will enhance uh, Michigan State or Iowa strength to schedule one. And then, two, I think just having this week off where there's some Big 12 teams playing, but no one's playing for a Big 12 championship. Oklahoma's already won it. They've got the nine-game conference schedule around Robin, full amount that they use because they only right. have 10 teams. Uh, so, so I think they might end up bumping that to the first spot. And I'll tell you in a minute why that's kind of important if the top four stay essentially the way back. Well, I think the thing that's I, – I agree with you on this point because I think if they if for some reason they didn't happen, they would have some trouble explaining their criteria because really they hit on two of the markers. They, but the team that would, that would do the jump, either Michigan State or Iowa, would have the championship, correct? And, and at least in the event that it was Iowa, you'd have them on two markers, undefeated, and you have the championship. With, with Michigan State, it's a little more conflated. Obviously, you're talking about two teams with one loss, but the other one has played one more game than the other. Uh, then it's sort of you know muddled as it always gets when we start talking strength of schedule and, and things like that. But uh, at least, I guess, in the event of Iowa, if for some reason that's the way it goes down, if they don't jump them, that it would just seem sort of bizarre to me. But I think that there is the grace here. I think there's enough space in that Oklahoma sliding down. Uh, we, we, well, wait a minute. I'll, I'll take you back to last year. Florida State, do you recall exactly where they sit the weekend before championship? Because I think they, they slid as well, did they not? They did slide. They actually slid, I, if, I wonder, if I'm correct, they slid from two to three. And I thought that I was thought so too, all yeah. along. And, and I've said this all along, Matt. I don't know how you feel about it, but if you're going to have a power five, and that's going to have any meaning whatsoever. You can't sit there and put an undefeated team back at number three in the final rankings, or if it's Iowa. To me, you have to look at all the Power Five conferences equally in uniform and not look at one and say it's watered down compared to the other. It sets a bad precedence, and at that very juncture, I don't know why you would have a Power Five in the first place, especially if, if you're going to go ahead and throw in teams from the American Conference who were very competitive this season. You saw Memphis, Houston, right. Davey, Temple. I mean, all those teams were competitive. They were ranked in the top 25, and they had the opportunity, if they won out, for a possibility of an at-large bid, or at the very least, a New Year's Six Bowl. And I think that's interesting that, you know, the college for a platform is going to give them that leeway, and they're, and they're going to factor them into the equation, but they don't factor them in the same as other Power 5 wins or Power 5 losses. And it just it seems irrelevant to me. But right. the criteria that this committee uses is say at the beginning of the season, and they don't even abide by it. I mean, look at Stanford. Stanford has the same exact record as Northwestern, but they had to play Northwestern beat them at the beginning of the season. So it's just a little bit mind-boggling how they come up with some of this at times. I think they've got it right at this point, but in large or in, or in general, I guess in the course of the season, I feel like they struggle at times to actually come up with any justified reason on a week-to-week basis why they rank these teams the way they do. I've had some head scratchers, like like it's a frustration, I guess, like it sounds like I hear from you. But I guess my issue is, is it you know, in working on some of these shows, the debates where people sit and watching other people's shows uh, that, that do the same and listening to the programs and doing the multiple podcasts and call-ins and all the stuff that you and I do. One of the things that, that, that I think irks me a little bit, and I think it irks me because I – 
played the sport and I, I believe very, very strongly in what the sport's supposed to be about. I get a little agitated when we put too much weight on our opinions. And I guess, you know, cause I feel like it, there's no, in a lot of situations, it's not necessarily who's right or wrong. It's just more who values one thing more than the other. And there's probably some experience buried in their head that makes them lean that way or some past game they're remembering where they felt a certain way. And it just makes them push or put more weight on that. The thing that I don't like about that is I'm thinking of this sort of as a player. I know there's been multiple occasions as a player where if you would have laid out the case for why something was going to happen to me as a player, you know, on the field, the, the particular guy that was going to be across from me and we could write down all that he had done in the last year and we could write down all of his measurables and everything accomplished. If, if it was put to a vote of what was going to happen in our game against one another, I would have lost, <laughs> you know, and I, again, I'm making this maybe too personal, but I guess the idea of, I understand that you cannot remove opinion, right, from slotting them, from just getting them where they stand. But my view is always that that's just to organize them, to allow them to then go compete. I don't like it when the opinions can actually remove you from the process of getting to compete, because usually uh, it, it works itself out there on the field. And I think you do make a good point that I think by and large, a lot of these things have fell because they allowed the, the schedule to play out and they just they took care of themselves. But we do get to a point where and I think maybe this year they're going to miss it. I, I think this year they're going to get lucky because I think UNC is going to get destroyed by Clemson to get there you go again I'm making an opinion you know maybe that doesn't happen I have no idea but I think by and large Florida should get handled by Alabama Clemson should handle UNC and then one of those two big team 10 teams are going to win and this will be a pretty easy year should be could be uh, but in the event that it's not I just hate the idea that something I think even if it was one of my opinions that had sway my opinion should only maybe matter if you're a seated here or there but not whether or not you get to go if all these teams if really one loss is sort of the standard in a power five and have a championship even those that don't I would love, and again, this is my bias out in play. I would love to see Ohio State still in this tournament. I would love to see maybe even Notre Dame and Stanford extending to eight. And I mean, I think as we look, and obviously I know that this is way hypothetical and this isn't happening, but if we were at eight right now, uh, which I think is the ideal sort of, if you, you do the probability win stuff from way out, as long as they've had these national championship, nobody beyond what would hit at eight would ever have, has ever won one. So you're talking about minute possibility that the ninth or having a, you know, an extension to 16 talk would matter. But if you extended it back to eight, where we sit now, that includes North Carolina, your French teams are then like your Notre Dames and basically Notre Dame, TCU, Baylor, Oklahoma state. Those are those, those teams that would be battling out for an argument to be at that eight spot. But Again, the likelihood that one of them could still win the, the entire tournament is so minuscule that at least I feel like we would have do, had done our duty to get the people who could plausibly win in the thing. I'm still not convinced that Ohio State, a month from now, a month and a half from now, when they had to play this game, couldn't possibly win that game, and that bothers me a little bit. No, it 100% bothers me too, and I think we saw last year. You know, this Ohio State team really put in the Big Ten championship game, and and I'll say this, and this kind of, I don't want to steer it too far in this direction, but you look at last year's predicament, the Big 12 having two co-champions, uh, neither getting in. And I think it was in part, Matt, because of not only the Big 12 championship uh, and Ohio State winning over the South, but the way they won. I mean, it pounded them. It was 59 to nothing. It wasn't even close. And I think it was so right. convincing of a win that the committee kind of said, well, we're still we need to give them an opportunity, even though they have a third-string quarterback. 
And right. this year it's like that happened for Ohio State. Unfortunately, they dropped the game late. And, it, it, right. you, know, you know, you know how it works. I mean, you lose in November. That's kind of a death sentence for any team that's playing for the last six. And even if it's your only loss, you know, compared to a team like UNC, like the next one, you lost their opener, it's arguably the worst team of any one loss team in the past 12 rankings. I mean, a 3 of 9 South Carolina team, it was not very good by any means, but they lost their opener. So um, I think the idea that I think it kind of brings to mind for me, at least, is the lack of uniformity amongst the Power Five when you compare the other four conferences in the Power Five that play Thomas Championships, but not the Big 12. And last year, Commissioner Bullsby for the Big 12 kind of said, we're not going to change. We're not going to petition the NCAA to try to have a championship game because they have to because they don't have 12 teams in the conference. You have to have 12 in order to have a championship game. So they right. have to petition the NCAA, but they have to petition the other Power Five conferences. He said, we're not going to do either. Because, yes, this year it played to our detriment. But it also ended up working out for the other teams that have to play that 13th game. He goes, we'll see how it plays in the future. It's a 10-year contract with the uh, college ball playoff community. We'll see how it plays out. This year, it's playing to their benefit. Oklahoma ends up winning out as a Big 12 champion. They're 11-1, and now they don't have to play. Whereas Alabama, Clemson, and Iowa, in this case, because they're in at the moment, have to worry about losing that spot to you know, someone else who are potentially playing the conference game, which, which to me is a little bit unfair. Um, but I guess also you can make the case that, you know, Oklahoma, or, or excuse me, the Big 12 got left out last year, so you know, maybe that's how it evens out. But I will ask you this, it's not a transition this conversation. When you look at a team like UNC, Matt, they're 11-1, they're playing the conference championship game, and if they do win sitting at number 10, do you believe they should jump all the way up into the top four because they are a conference champion at 12 and 1? Because if you think about it, that's kind of the model of what they want with their criteria, with that championships won, you know, part of their criteria. Right. And it kind of fits the NFL way of saying if you win your division, you're in the playoffs. Regardless of your overall right. record, like, you know, Carolina Panthers last year at 7 8 1, who, oh, by the way, won their first around that wild card game, came through the Seahawks in 7 9 2010. Do you, do you feel like that's a more fitting way, kind of a clear-cut way of saying, hey, look, you win your college championship, you're in. Now, granted, you only have four teams, so you're going to leave one out of Power 5. Right. But as far as this goes, you know, it kind of fits a little bit to a simple model. Do you, do you believe that or not? Well, I believe it, but let's put it this way. I believe that that would be enough to eliminate anyone that they previously had in the top four that didn't fit that criteria. In other words, like a really sexy uh, 12 and one team that, you know, maybe say Alabama, say Alabama's particular one loss was to a team that was on the same side of their division in the SEC and eliminating them for possibility of competing in the, in the championship for the SEC. If that were the case, but that SEC sat where they sat now because that loss had had happened earlier, say it was, you know, head to head with, hypothetical here Georgia or something like that and and you know allowing Georgia with the exact same rep- record to play in in the championship but Alabama at this kind of time of year was held in such incredible regard they didn't care about the championship they just sat where they sat and then UNC went and did that uh yeah they, the records would be the same and they, they would have the championship and I think you would have to just vote for it otherwise why in the hell are we doing this you know I guess I guess the greater issue for me would become the the greatest sort of point of contention you actually touched on this on your column for football by football this week where in the end in the event that UNC wins that game 
uh, it, they're a champion, right? So I think the only time where you can, the only person who can have a conversation with them and sort of have an eye to eye argument, at least a resume dropping, might be your pack champion. And, and that'll seem weird because either, it would, I'm sorry, it would have to be Stanford as the pack champion. USC just has too many losses. But in the event that Stanford goes ahead and wins as a two loss pack champion, because uh, the record that UNC has built includes a couple FCS wins. I don't think the the fact that there's two there would it with Stanford would would somehow leave them out of the conversation against UNC. I think then you have to really do a side by side and then just make a determination. And then at the same point of even talking about that, we're also you know you're eliminating all those one loss Big Twelve teams that are in Oklahoma. Can you do that? I mean, I guess I guess we have to for the for the championship point that you made. But uh, I really think that the pack just for the way things have fallen this year would be really the only person who could have a legitimate argument with UNC and UNC back with them. Uh, the Big Ten looks safe. One of their twos in Alabama. Well, I, I take that back. You know, you touched on this as well, and I'm forgetting this part. Florida. Florida does it as well. All of a sudden, we got to have that conversation also. So Florida would be a weaker one-loss championship champion. And as they sit now, we're, we're actually, where do they sit? Where do they sit Well, they're today? actually uh, way back because they dropped to Florida State. So I don't think I don't think yeah they're com- yeah they're at ten two so they're way out of the conversation too yeah my bad so I don't I mean, know well, yeah yeah a lot of people didn't realize that just because uh, Florida State game wasn't in the SEC so it didn't affect them but I mean look right. I, I think we, if you're, you're going to be subjective look at the eye test of all this I mean I don't think anyone believes in UNC no one believes in Florida and I've said this before right. Matt the reason why everyone wants Ohio State is because they kind of felt they kind of feel like they trust Urban Meyer I mean let's be honest. Right. We know Urban Meyer's track record. We know what they were able to do last year. And we know that they had one bad game, and we know what the formula to success is. I mean, they've got a new right. play caller there, Ezekiel Elliott. Just give him the ball the entire game, and look what he's capable <laughs> right. of doing. I right. mean, it's, it's not that complicated. I don't know why it's taken them this long to figure it out. Yeah, again, it's just one of these things where I think you can always make a compelling argument. And because it, the thing that, that sort of eats at me with the Ohio State question is I have this thing to, to me that always says new season, new season, new team, new team. Football teams always change. They're not the same, you know, even though we're talking about 60 to 70 percent of the same personnel. Graduation rate wasn't that high, maybe even 80 at Ohio like, State a year ago. Like 80%. Yeah, I think it's, like yeah 80 it's, more, it's closer to 80. Really yeah, like ben, Michael Bennett. Michael Bennett, uh, Devin Smith, who else am I missing? So they're, they're key players, an offensive lineman or two. Uh, but, yeah, it's – it's so, yeah, it, the point of there is my whole – it's a brand-new season. I'm thinking almost more in NFL terms where free agency happens and new rookie classes and the turnover is more like, you know, 30 to 40% out the door. Uh, and that, so it, it probably violates that in a little bit. And by and large part, it, it's pretty plausible to believe that that, the, that same Ohio State team could do a lot of the same things they did a year ago if they just get hot. And it's hard to get that out of the back of your head beyond just the belief in Urban Meyer. So we're going to have to sort of reconcile these things. But, okay, we will head in. And I, I think I think by and large, we, we can talk about this. We can shift here to the sort of what you actually think is going to happen in these games. UNC actually has to go and face Deshaun Watson, and they have to go face Clemson, and, and they have to face a team that has looked, I think, markedly better from the eye test angle. Uh, it, a nice win for UNC against NC State a week ago, uh, but beyond that, a really light resume. So it's sort of stabbing in the dark. How do you see that game playing out? What will be sort of some of the X's and O's kind of issues that think it would need to be resolved? 
You know, I personally think um, it, it'll be close early, and I think Clemson can pull away in the second half. And part of the reason I feel like that is because, you know, Clemson had this young offensive line coming in there, and then the season they replaced four of their five starters. And I think they kind of got off to a little bit of a slow start. But then all of a sudden, guys like Octavius fell on the outside, and Deshaun Watson started to kind of uh, you know get together and kind of find that rapport and find that timing. You know, Matt, a lot of people think with, like, quarterback play and passing football that, you know, when they've got a familiar wide receiver, that everything's going to be the same the next year. They never take right. into account the fact that, like, when you have four new offensive linemen up front, you might be getting right. more pressure or it might be more difficult for you to find the same throwing lanes and windows you're accustomed to. So that was part of the process, I think, for Clemson, who obviously still went undefeated and has done a good job. Uh, but now I just think there's going to be too much. I mean, they've got too much speed on the outside. Um, you know, Alexander at the point of that position is one of the best in the ACC, if not the best. Um, so I think he'll create a hard issue, you know, hard, a, a difficult issue for them. And uh, when it comes down to it, the UNC defense has improved, but when you look at them statistically, though, they can't, they're not even in the top half in some categories in the country uh, because of how poor they played kind of early on and kind of where they're at now. I mean, again, they've played better of, of late, but. You're talking about against a team like Vatek on the road that doesn't have a good offense. NC State has a very good dual-threat quarterback who didn't have the, the best game. Um, so I do think Gene Chizik, their defensive coordinator, is starting to kind of get it. They're starting to adapt to his scheme and some of those changes. But I, I just think the kind of loss is going to be too much to handle. What do you think about uh, this just sort of, you know, string around my fr- finger from a year ago and really feeling good uh, about Florida State, you know, obviously with Jameis Winston and their whole situation. And they were a team that won ugly a lot, but because they had had the season they had the year prior, I think people just said, hey, there's still – they won ugly, but they won. They had all these great comebacks. Jameis was given a lot of credit for that. And, and then they got into the tournament, and they, they got beat pretty handily. And I think I'm wondering in my head if if – there might be that same issue still in the ACC. Clemson's been the class over there, but they haven't had much crossover. Uh, actually, I don't have their schedule in front of me, but as I recall, there's their their best sort of game would have been the Notre Dame win, correct? I mean, that's that's their best that's their best non-ACC test, correct? Yeah, correct. I mean, and a lot of people try to kind of tie Notre Dame to the ACC because of that uh, six-game right, affiliation right, right. for a year. But right. yeah, you could make, you could make the case. Florida State, too. I mean, Florida State probably their best um, ACC win, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I guess I'm just thinking that I, I felt uh, I felt a lot better about Florida State until they were on the field in that playoff a year ago. And then, oh, wait a minute, you know, like maybe I just had overweighed the games they were winning in the ACC. And, you know, I covered Boston College a couple times last year and we had a pretty good handle on where Miami was at and, and you know, Georgia Tech and some of the teams that they would run into. And I thought I had a pretty good handle. And then they just looked different when they, when they faced an out, of, an out of conference group. So I'm just wondering if that'd be the same case. I mean, I'm looking at, at the Big Ten uh, as sort of your other sort of comparable. I, I always wonder with them, too, because we never learn much until they play other people. You know, and there's been, their bowl record has been atrocious in years past. Last year was pretty good. It's the first time in a while. So we'll we'll sort of transition here to the other big game, obviously the SEC championship with Florida and Alabama. Uh, I think from a on-field standpoint, the thing that I'm looking forward to in this game, without going so far as making a prediction, I mean I, I think Alabama is a better team, but I have no idea what might invariably happen to this game. Alabama is not want to sort of uh, surprise you from time to time to lay an egg. I've seen that enough to know that 
I'm not going to just go all in on them, but uh, it looks safe. The one thing Florida can do is they can defend. They have they play great defense. They have an exceptional front seven. There's a lot of talented dudes in there, especially at middle linebacker. Uh, and then I think there's a first round draft pick or two, at least a potential in the front four. And I like I just simply like the idea that that's kind of what you're going to see in that game. Alabama is really uh, really big and really talented in their in their front seven as well. So you're really going to get to see two of the better defenses I think in college football. And then Alabama has been such a run based team. You know Henry just pounds the football. So a lot of this is going to be best on best. I think the bigger issue is just simply going to be can Florida keep pace if they need to scoring wise and I don't see it. But it, it, who knows what could happen? Where where are your thoughts at on that game, Brady? Well, I'm with you, Matt. I don't think there's any way they'll be able to keep pace. I mean, you go back to last week, Florida's matchup versus Florida State. They lost 27-2. Their defense scored the only points they had in the game. So there's no doubt that they're struggling offensively. Uh, Treon Harris, at quarterback, just isn't what Will Greer, who is suspended for the rest of the season for PEDs, is not what he could have been to the team, what he could have brought. Look, they have a solid running game. Kelvin Taylor, uh, son of Fred Taylor, very good running back, yep. very capable of uh, helping get him yards and so forth. Callaway at the wide receiver position, along with the rest of that group. Again, another talented group, but they don't have anyone to get them the football. And look, maybe this is an underlying issue in the SEC right now. I think maybe that the conference as a whole doesn't look quite as strong. Is because when you look at the conference, I mean, Matt, there's no one draftable really. I mean, maybe Dak huh. Prescott is he can adapt to an NFL offense. Maybe Chad Kelly, but you know, they're not led by any prolific quarterbacks or any guys who I think a lot of people feel like it really excel at the next level. And I think that's why you kind of see there's not a ton of competition for Alabama. And that, that being said, Alabama's quarterback is taking play this level. I mean, he, yes, he couldn't be at, uh, at Jameis Winston at Florida State. That's why he's at Alabama. And you talked about them running the football. I mean, 46 attempts for um, Derrick Henry last week. I mean, that monster MO. Right. What they're going to try to do is get to run the football. So I actually think an interesting matchup in this game is going to be the outstanding cornerback for Florida, Brennan Hargraves versus Calvin Ridley. He's a very talented freshman wide receiver for Alabama. He's kind of their big playmaker whenever they need something. I, I right. think they're going to have to take shots. I think if there's one defense that can maybe stop Alabama's rushing attack, it's Florida. Uh, we'll see how they rebound after their loss last week, but they're a top 10 defense in almost every uh, statistical category. And I think they know that the, 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 the plan for success is for Alabama to run the football. So, They'll load up the box. They'll be one-on-one coverage on the outside. We'll see if they get Coker to make some of those tough throws and complete the passes. Well, you made the point, and it got me scrolling real quick because I was curious if, uh, you know, I, I always look at Walter Football. I always look at, uh, you know, rivals, a lot of these other places that do sort of the, the pre-draft rankings, and I don't usually do it because of, from a college football angle, I'm usually looking from an NFL angle and having to, you know, cover the draft and start talking free agency as soon as this thing goes cold. But it's interesting that you mentioned that, that, you know, we always talk about the best players going to the SEC, you know, just all the best quarter, you know, all the best, any position that's all the most draftable players. It's really bereft, as you mentioned, other than maybe potentially Dax. And I don't think many people have him or Dak, excuse me, have him in the, and even the top 10. I'm, I'm just looking at, at Walter's list, but he's got Paxton Lynch, number one, Jared Goff, from California, who's been exceptionally talented, had an up and down game on a couple times he got on the biggest stage, but I think he'll still be a highly rated guy. Connor Cook, same thing. Injuries banged up this year, so you know doesn't have like the big exclamation point to his career that I think people are looking for. But the measurables and the experience he's had in big time games, I think he'll he'll still be appealing. 
Uh, Cardell Jones, I mean, it just depends on uh, – he probably would have gone higher had he left last year <laughs> if he could, you know. Yeah. Uh, but he sits there as a, as a potential top 10. Hackenberg, again, so difficult to evaluate that guy because he's had – so little around him. He played maybe the best of his career as a freshman, which which is scary, but uh, measurables will always get that guy to the top of the heap, and maybe he can be a great court, pro quarterback. Jacoby Brissett from NC State, I don't know him well. I don't know if you've seen much of him at all. Uh, Carson Wentz, uh, quarterback at North Dakota State, interesting, 6'6". Six, six. Yeah, That's my old yeah, conference. Wentz, Wentz is a guy who actually may start climbing up, um, you know, once he performs that it's at the combine, at the pro day and all that, a lot of people are pretty high on this young man. If I'm not mistaken, I think he actually got injured, though, at this point in time. So I don't know where okay. his health is particularly at. But, uh, yeah, broke his wrist. Good call. He broke yeah, broke his yeah. wrist out six to eight weeks. You're right. So both him and Paxton Lynch are the two guys that I've heard the most about and the most from NFL scouts that I've talked to, when I, especially when I go down on the field before games. I talk to them about you know different quarterbacks like Boykin or whoever else I've seen this year, and they'll kind of say, "Man, to be honest with you, like it's really hard for us to have an opinion of a spread quarterback because they have to do so right. many different things once they get to the NFL level." And they feel like some of these guys, like a Paxton Lynch or Carson Wentz, they're actually coming from an easier system to adapt into the uh, NFL game, and maybe that makes a case for them. You know, you had Jared Grayson out of um, uh, Colorado State last year. Under Tim Nathalie, who ended up going, if I'm not mistaken, second or third round to uh, the New Orleans Saints. And it seems like maybe he's one of the future players there uh, after Drew Brees is done. But, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's crazy, though, because like you said, every year, usually the SEC has the most players drafted. I just don't think that's at the quarterback position. And whether it's the NFL or it's college football, it's a quarterback-driven game. When you don't have one, it's really hard to win national championships. And that's why I feel like Alabama struggled last year. And that's why I'm not high on them this year. I look at those top four teams right now, and I give the most credit, really, whether it's Iowa or Michigan State. If Michigan State gets it, it's different because I've brought my faith in Connor Cook. But even that being said, I think the combination of what Oklahoma has in their backfield with mixing and T-line and, and Sterling Shepard, a wide receiver, and D.D. Westbrook, versus a team like the Deshaun Watson has as well, those two teams look to be the favorite to me because I trust those two quarterbacks trying to lead their teams in the final minutes of the two-man trap during the game. Yeah, it's a, it's a fair point. I mean, certainly if we wanted to do sort of quarterback as the final determinant, Alabama would be at the bottom of the pile easily, right? I mean, even with Beathard at Iowa, I think he's shown a little bit more, at least on a consistent basis. Sean Watson's obviously more of a dual threat kind of guy, but if you're looking at Baker Mayfield, I mean, he's he's really come on late. And as you mentioned, Oklahoma's running game's exceptional too, so there's really two ways they can beat you. Connor Cook, again, the biggest issue with him is, is he healthy? <laughs> you know, Connor Cook yeah. at full speed. Is Connor Cook playing? Uh, I would agree with you there. Ohio State, just, you know, if Cardell Jones gets hot uh, or JT Barrett just plays how he plays, I, I, I think there are a lot of other places where uh, maybe the team that right now is one of the best teams in Alabama might be the weakest in that particular attribute, which ends up being the most important one. <laughs> just, uh, just that'll make it interesting, if anything. So we'll get to kind of swing on that. So as we end up the show here, Brady, I wanted to just parting shot here, talking a little bit about Heisman. We had started to touch on it last week with, with Derrick Henry is potentially a front runner is going into this final weekend. Some Heisman candidates still have, uh, still have options or opportunities to make an impression. Obviously out in Stanford, you're kicking 
kick return running back there can do it Christian and then obviously here with Henry he can do his uh, Watson as well I think maybe uh, an exclamation point in, in a championship and a, and a birth into the playoff because he's a quarterback maybe that puts him right back up at the top of the conversation even though he doesn't have his sexiest stats on the year where do you see it all playing out and is there a particular uh, you know underdog going into the, that might come out of this weekend with a really great candidacy you know, it's funny. Um, I, I look at the guys who are up there, and, and I want to point out one thing that's been pretty frustrating that I just saw recently today. You okay. know, quarterback Keenan Reynolds for Navy. Um, the guy yeah. surpassed Monty Ball's career touchdown record, set the record for NCAA uh, touchdowns <clears throat> this season, and, and he's obviously been a huge part of leading Navy uh, into a top 25 ranking and, and really putting him kind of on the mark. And uh, he was leading the – balloting for the fan votes uh, on the website at ESPN, uh, partnering with Nissan for the Heisman. And he was actually wow. leading by like a 10 or 11% margin. And because they lost last week, there's like some sort of expert group that puts together some sort of criteria to pick those seven nominees for the fans to right. vote. And, and they took him off the list. Even though he was number oh. one for this fan vote, they took him off because they lost last week. And it's a little bit unnerving just to, just to sit there and think to yourself, what not only does this young man mean to the game of football, but way more importantly, what he means in the grand scheme of life in our country and all that, given the fact that he's going to serve in our military. And as far as the character that they talk about that encompasses the Heisman Trophy, what guy on this list body that any more than Ken Reynolds? I mean, it's, just, right. it's absurd. It's, it's kind of pathetic in some ways, too. Um, that he wouldn't make an exception in this case, especially because of the guys leading the fan vote. And it's starting to get more traction. I'm wondering if ESPN will uh, eventually kind of act. Because if I'm not mistaken, they also play all these stuff. So they actually have, he has an opportunity to still play in and have a nice game and all that. And, and, and I'll just right. so getting to the field, when you look at Oklahoma, you know, I'll tell you this next now. If they end up winning at all, which I think they very well could because they're kind of hot right now and the, the weapons they have and, and, the, and the defense that they play is pretty tough. I actually think if we if we're going to vote for the Heisman at the end of the year after the national championship and all that, Baker Mayfield may win. But right. if we vote for it after this um, basically after the championship weekend, and obviously Oklahoma doesn't play, right? They, they're already done. Um, I yep. actually think it's going to either go to Derrick Henry or Deshaun Watson, in part because of East Coast bias. One of those two uh, men, they're all very deserving players. Let me just say that. But Derrick Henry's had a heck of a season. He's probably the most valued on his team as far as them having success. But you can make the same case for Deshaun Watson. Unfortunately, the guy I think he probably is most deserving is Christian McCaffrey. Because without yeah. him, I don't think Stanford even, even gets to uh, the tactical championship game. And I think they lose more than two games. I mean, he's outstanding. He's, he's close to breaking Barry Sanders' uh, all-purpose uh, yards record for in, in a season. And uh, he's been an absolute pleasure to watch. Unfortunately, he plays at 10 p.m. Saturday night or 11 p.m. Saturday night half the time, so not a lot of people need to go through the watching. No, that's a great point, and it also sort of brings up this idea of when Heisman voting should conclude, and, and you, you sort of touched on that, but say if you, you're you just the, the best player in, in college football by a landslide, you know, you're like a Jadavian clown, you're a team that's not winning in a position that doesn't control things, but say if you're that good at a quarterback position, but you play in a team 
it's got atrocious defense, right? You know, you still put up 70 points a game or something obnoxious. I'm just making it up, hypothetically speaking. But, you know, your team goes seven and four, whatever, you know, seven and five. They're not a good team. Uh, but you've just broken every potential possible record. You do play in a power five, but you're just not a very good one, you know. And it is a team sport. You, you literally could not have done any more in your position. But you're done, uh, you know, the at the end of November and, and, and football goes on without you. And, and if the vote were late, say if the vote was post bowl season, you know, it may say, make that example even more dramatic, make them five and seven. Right. And, and, and a team that doesn't play in a bowl and another candidate or two or three that you're competing against gets to not only play on championship weekend, they get the bowl weekend as well. I mean, I know that they, that's probably part of the reason they try to avoid that. But one of the guys that was thinking in my head, as you were mentioning the, the guy from Navy, I was thinking about Jordan Lynch from a couple of years ago from Northern Illinois. Do you remember him? The, uh, the quarterback that the quarterback. Uh, Jordan was yeah, – yeah. He actually ended up being a running back a little bit in the NFL when he got in, right? Exactly, because he's he's a, a conservative. I, I was a fan of his. I loved watching him because, you know, working on the Big Ten, we saw a lot of Northern Illinois and Northwestern, and they ended up playing a lot of crossover games. And he was kind of a really good guy to cheer for, obviously plays in the MAC. So I saw a ton of him, but he was much better runner than passer. But he was so – Good. <laughs> I couldn't put a finger on it. He was not the fastest guy either. He was a little bit dynamic, but he just kind of had the it thing, at least at the collegiate level. And week after week after week. And, you know, you'd watch the, the Heisman watch voting. You'd see him sort of fall away. And I'm like, but he didn't play any different than he played the week before, <laughs> you know. But again, yeah. I, I, I say all these things knowing that in the end, you make a great point that uh, you know, Baker's probably done all that he can. And it might actually be the most compelling case. And it will get slammed home if they win the whole thing. But the candidacy really isn't much different today than it will be then other than one more game. Uh, but I, I would say if I were down i i would go ahead and make the deshaun watson vote and i and this but this is one of those years where i feel a little less comfortable with the vote because henry's been so impressive but it's just that thing in the back of my neck that says voters won't go for the running back i don't know yeah and, and i kind of sit there and think of myself that think of myself too you know it, it always ends up going to a team that's kind of in position, one of the top two teams in the country. Not necessarily the best right. player, but the best player on the best team. And, and Derek right. Henry is very much that. He's very deserving of that. Even though I don't necessarily even think he's the best running back. And I talked about this in the last week, but I think Ezekiel Elliott and actually Dalvin Cook might be two better running backs. I report that as well, for that matter, um, when you talk about the running styles and all what they're capable of doing. But uh, anyway, as long as short of it is, Derek Henry will probably end up walking away um, with this award. And, uh, you know, look, again, he'd be very deserving of it. Um, I, I don't want to sound like I'm not saying he, he shouldn't win it. Um, I just think right. there's so many guys this season who meant so much to their team, whether that's Keenan Reynolds or Deshaun Watson, Christian McCaffrey. I mean, you could hand this award out to all those guys. Uh, so it's, it's a shame that they all don't get the same recognition uh, that, they, that they really deserve. Well, I think this 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 is a, a point that's a little off the radar, but because the world has become so fantasy football focused, I think we are in a world now where we pay a little more attention to other positions, uh, maybe not at the collegiate level so much, but you can look back to a year ago and look at the look at the Tevin Coleman's look at. Uh, uh, oh, what's his name from Alabama a year ago that's down now in Jacksonville? Uh, Yeldon, TJ uh, Yeldon. Yeldon. 
TJ Yeldon, a Langford at Michigan State, who no one believed in a year ago. He's been exceptional. He filled in and looked just every bit the guy that Forte was in Chicago. Uh, really the running back. And Melvin Gordon was really the, the, the rah-rah of the class other than Gurley who had been injured. And he's probably been the most, most modest. I think he's really you know not in a great fit in San Diego because he's not doing power stuff that he did at, at Wisconsin. But my, my major point is here, there's, there's six, seven, maybe even eight in there of, of running backs that came out a year ago. Duke Johnson, who hasn't had quite the success but really talented backs that yeah I think you're 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 not talking about them in Heisman considerations a year ago but when it gets time to sort of talk about them at the the next level even though it's an air quotes passing league those guys are having huge impacts and I love that I love that that position is still every bit as important on one level as the next but all right we got to close this thing out so hey man have a great call this weekend on your game I've got uh, JMU James Madison and Colgate a little FCS second round playoff game so I'm looking forward to it you got which game again you got which game again bud Kansas State versus West Virginia so we got, uh, obviously, this is an interesting topic real quick. <clears throat> Kansas State trying to play for that sixth one to be bowl eligible, but if they yes. don't win, they would be the second team because Missouri decided that even though um, they have five wins, but they're like second or they're tied for second with Kansas State in the academic progress rate, yep. which is what the NCAA allows that to bring about those teams that the five wins that aren't necessarily at that 80, 82 threshold. There's 40 bowl games, 82 to fill it. They're at like 76 or something right now. So anyway, Missouri opted out not to play one. Kansas State will then vote if they don't win this week. I was talking to Coach Snyder about that. Uh, He said the players would take a vote to decide that. Uh, But kind of interesting little Mm -hmm. note. A lot of people don't realize that. But if you don't get six wins, there's actually still a chance that a five-win team uh, could very well go. And it's all based on academic performance. So actually kind of neat. Yeah, it's kind of cool. And imagine what that means to a university one way or the other. We'll watch those bowl games, and even if they're a bad one, there may be it may be half full, but the TV contract. <laughs> the school's going to get a nice check one way or the other. So it is kind of interesting that they would allow it to go to a vote with, with the players. I imagine if you're a – if you're on a board of some sort there at the school, you're thinking, oh, good Lord. <laughs> Vote yes. <laughs> Vote yes. We want that half a million dollars. All right, man. Have a great week. Take care, buddy. See you. You too. I'll see you. That's all we have for today's show. Thanks so much for listening to the Football by Football podcast. As always, the FBF podcast can be found for streaming or download on footballbyfootball.com or blogtalkradio.com. You can download the FBF podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the TuneIn Radio app. For daily insightful stuff from guys like Brady and myself, make sure to check out the footballbyfootball.com Facebook page and give us a follow on Twitter at FBBYF. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Night, Lucky. Night, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. 
But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.